Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast with Steve Gordon. Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gordon, and I am here today and excited to be talking with Jonathan Stark. And Jonathan is a former software developer who is now on a mission to rid the world of hourly billing. Um, and I'm excited about that. I, I, I haven't billed by the hour in, gosh, probably 15 or maybe 20 years. Uh, he's the author of Hourly Billing is Nuts, the host of Ditching Hourly, and he writes a daily newsletter on pricing for independent professionals. Jonathan Stark, welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited to talk about this. Um, there was a time early in my career where I, I worked for a company that, that did bill by the hour and uh, drove me nuts, and, and we, we thankfully switched and really went to a value pricing model. I know we're going to talk about a lot, a lot of that today. And I know for people listening, a lot of them are billing by the hour. And uh, as you know, that's, a, that's kind of a, a hamster wheel that just never stops. So um, I would love for you to share with folks a little bit about your background, kind of how you got to this point, how you, how you got to this epiphany of, of getting out of the billable hour uh, so they know kind of where you're coming from. And then, then we can really dive into things. Great. Sounds good. Well, the quick quick story background is that uh, I was, I guess in about 2005, I was the vice president of a boutique software development firm. And we billed folks out at about $150 an hour, if I remember correctly. And we had, you know, 10, 15 employees, depending on the year, it would kind of go up and down. And uh, at one point, you know, we were, we were, sort of looking at the list of people and, you know, sort of income statement and that sort of thing. And thought, you know, if we had to lay somebody off here, uh, who would it be if we were going to make a list of people that, that we were going to let go? And I couldn't get around it because it was obvious to me from the numbers that we'd have to lay off our very best guy who was very fast, had the highest salary of anyone, and we could barely keep him busy. He would blow through work so fast. He was just really efficient. Uh, didn't, you know, he shipped bug-free work and there was, he was just done so fast. Uh, and then if you compare that to on the, the low end of the spectrum, we had a junior person who was almost an intern, who was really slow, needed a lot of help, uh, needed to go back and do a lot of refactoring after he was done. And we were billing him out at the same rate and he kept his clients perfectly happy because he had a, a great bedside manner and, uh, and we were making a fortune off of this guy. And I just couldn't reconcile that. Uh, we were lucky to have the, the, the great developer. He was amazing. He could have worked anywhere he wanted. And I was like, there's no way. I mean, this is just totally irrational. And it, surprisingly, this is the thing that really shocks me looking back on it. It probably took me two solid weeks to even think to question hourly billing. But once I did, the light bulb immediately went on. It was like a religious experience. As soon as I recognized that if we build based on value instead of on time, everything would fall into place, not only with our, you know, staffing decisions and our, you know, our, our best guy would become our most profitable guy, for example, but all of the other, virtually all of the other problems that we were facing as a company stemmed from the fact that we're billing by the hour. Everything that you would, that you would complain about to your spouse would disappear immediately if you took hourly billing out of the scenario. So I left and uh, I did, I started my own firm. I went solo and I, you know, based all of my project work on value pricing from day one. And it was a huge success. I doubled my income in the first year. It's grown every year since. 
uh, working as you know part time in many years, making more money than I used to, and no employees, nothing like that, not not even an assistant. So you know, I I highly recommend it, and a lot of my former colleagues would keep in touch with me, ask me how it was going, and I'd be kind of raving about it. Uh, I even they asked me to even speak at a couple of conferences for the the sort of old world folks. And uh, I just kept getting more questions about it. I started blogging about it. And one thing led to another. And eventually someone decided to pay me to teach them how to do it. And that was, I think, 2013, 2014. And over time, I've just gotten more and more serious about it. It kind of took over my software business. And now I just do that. I just do business coaching for independent professionals to help them price their work. So quite quite a journey and and quite an epiphany. Um, One that I think a lot of people listening, uh, as we go through this, they may have it as we go through, but a lot of them are going to have that, that same challenge of looking at a different way to, to price and to bill. So many mm-hmm. uh, professionals are, are just stuck in this idea that the thing that they're selling is an hour on the clock. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, having been in that business a long time ago, first thing I realized is that it, it's a really, really crappy prison to be stuck in. Um, yeah, the hourly trap. Yeah, and so as you made this transition, I mean, did you run into any any uh, resistance or any obstacles? Very few. Um, like I said, I I purposely didn't plan to grow my business through hiring. I think that's um, that is certainly one way to do it or a potential way to do it, but it's also sometimes a trap because especially for people who are adding headcount you know, they're planning to mark up their, you know, get junior employees and mark up their time to increase their profits. If you don't want to be a manager, that's a disaster. If you want to be a manager, fine. But if you don't want to be a manager and you do want to keep doing the thing that you do, in my case, it was, you know, software development. If I wanted to actually do that as my job, then, and and not become a manager, then uh, that wasn't going to be an option for me. And, you know, I just didn't, um, I just didn't want that for me. Uh, and I think that even if you even if you do have a firm and you do have employees, using an hourly approach is going to really drastically limit your profitability. It's a great way to get you know steady cash flow and and your uh, annual numbers. You know your in, your revenue numbers can be very high, but you can add headcount and actually decrease your profits. Of course, because now you have all these salaries to pay, and if you're not increasing your revenue you know, exponentially, maybe not exponentially, but, you know, at least two X of what you're um, paying for headcount. It's kind of like, you know, in salaries, it's like, well, what was the point of that? I'm making less money now managing more people. So it, it's just, I don't, it, the whole thing is just upside down. It's almost getting to the point for me where I can't even, it's hard for me to even get back like 15 years ago and remember like why that even made sense in the first place. But I, you know, I talk to people all the time. I know it does, but yeah, it's just completely backward. Yeah, I, I've always thought that that business model must have been the original pyramid scheme. <laughs> it kind of is, isn't it? If you think about it, you start one of these businesses and you start it yourself and you're doing the work and you're billing by the hour. Well, the only mm-hmm. way to get a raise then is to bring a couple of junior people in underneath you, you know, and it seems like it always sort of spreads, you know, out the base of the pyramid like that. The only way for those two people then to go move up and and get a raise is to bring now four junior people underneath them, mm-hmm. you know, and 
I get why it works. You know, yeah, the math eventually does work out. And if you add enough layers to the pyramid and you're the guy at the top or the gal at the top, you can make some money. Mm -hmm. But it's a really difficult way to do it, I think. Oh, absolutely. Like I said, it works for some people. If, you know, if that's the kind of business they want to build, I'm not saying it doesn't work. It's just a really hard way to do it. And if you don't really want to be a manager, then it's, then it's, uh, I mean, it's frankly unfair to the people you're hiring. You know, if you're not planning on becoming a really, really good manager and devoting time to becoming that for them, being a good boss, then you're doing them a, a giant disservice in my opinion. There's another way, but you, you said the only way to get a raise under the hourly model. There's one other way to get a raise under the hourly, hourly model, and that's to work slower. True, true. And that, I mean, that to me kind of brings us back to the fundamental flaw with the model. Mm-hmm. Clients don't like it most of the time. Yeah, I've never had any pushback from clients with, with very rare exceptions. Occasionally, you'll get somebody like a government agency or a higher ed that is forced through their rigid procurement process to compare apples to apples. Like, well, you have to give us an hourly rate. So we know which, if you're more expensive than this other person, which of course is only half the equation because you know, how many hours is it going to take? Like, here's my hourly rate. It's, it's $50,000 an hour, but it's only going to take me one hour. You know, like they don't even, it, it's nuts. Like the whole thing is nuts, but so very in general, the average client prefers a fixed price for a project. Because of course, like who wouldn't want to know how much it was going to cost to repair your car or put an addition on your house or get a website built before you make the decision? Because with an hourly model, you just give an estimate. You say, ah, we think it'll be about $50,000 for the car, but uh, why don't you just take it and we'll let you know in a year or two about how much you actually owe us. Well, I'll tell you, it, for, for clients, they're, they think they're buying the end result. They're not interested in buying the work that went into it. They know that that's part of it, but that's your part of it. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so when we, when we bill by the hour, we start to mix this whole thing up. And, and now we're trying to sell something they don't really want, which is, I think, one of the reasons why most professionals have such a hard time selling. Um, I mean, and that's epidemic across mm-hmm. any kind of service business, the, the difficulty in selling it. And I think most of the time it's just because you're not selling anything anybody wants. You're selling the work because of the way that you've decided to package it up. And, mm-hmm. uh, um, I don't know if, if you've looked at that side of it or, or, or run into that before, but I'd love to kind of switch gears here, talk a little bit about value pricing, because I think the two go together. Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I know you're sure. an expert at value pricing. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about, you know, just give us a primer on that and, and then let's dive in. Okay. So there are three words that we need to define before we really get into this. And, uh, and, uh, those words are cost, price, and value. And they can be used interchangeably in general use, but for the purpose of this discussion, I'm going to use them to mean v- three very specific, specific things. So the cost is how much the seller, the least amount of money the seller would accept for a particular service or product. That's, we're going to talk about it in terms of the seller. So your, your listener, when you imagine the cost, that's the walkaway price for you to do a project. That's your cost as a seller. The price is the amount of money that it changes hands between buyer and seller, which, you know, could be upfront. It could be at the end. It could be over time, but it's the final amount of money that changes hands. That's the price. And the value is the most amount that the buyer would want to pay for something. So on, on the, on the low end, you've got cost on the high end, you've got value. Hopefully they're arranged that way. And hopefully the price is somewhere in the middle. The, the issue with 
hourly billing is those can get flipped. They can get flipped in complete reverse where you make a sale to, oops, you make a sale to the, um, you make a sale to a buyer based on an estimate. You say, well, I think this will be $10,000 worth of hours. And the client's thinking, well, they're going to make me this website. And I think the website's probably, probably worth about $10,000 to me, you know, give or take. So, okay, let's get started. And then time goes on and the scope creeps and you don't keep control of the project and things get out of control. And the next thing you know, they've spent 10, they've paid you $10,000 and everybody knows you're nowhere near finished. So now what's happened is the price is increasing over time after they already made a purchasing decision. They made a purchasing decision a long time ago based on the estimate. Now the price is crawling past what it's even worth to them in the first place. And you know, you, you don't, you care because it's probably an uncomfortable emotional situation to be in, but you don't really care because you're not losing money as they say, because your cost, the amount of time that you're putting in is going up as well. So the, in, in an hourly model, your costs and price go up in lockstep and the value never changes. So the cost and, and more importantly, the price can exceed the value for the buyer. And that's when you get clients from hell. That's when you get micromanaging. That's when you get arguing about hours. That's when you get lawsuits. That's when people get fired. And it's, I think you used the word epidemic earlier. It's like a cancer on professional services. Something in the software space, something like 50% of projects go more than double over budget. Wow. It's insane. So if you just started out, if you, if you flip those things around, so instead of, instead of thinking about it, dear listener, the way you usually probably think about it, which is, eh, I think this is going to take us about $100 times our hourly rate. We'll give that, you know, maybe we'll mark it up 15% for project management or something like that. And you say, okay, here's an estimate. You give that to um, the buyer. You can flip your, 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 this is, that's a cost plus model. You're thinking about how hard it's going to be for you to do the work. And you're coming up with a way that matters to you to protect yourself from, again, air quotes, losing money. So you can flip that around. There's an entire school of economics that believes in a value-based pricing. And in fact, that is the way that most things are, uh, if not priced, sold. So when you go into a Starbucks and you decide to buy, you know, a venti cappuccino, you're making a value-based decision. You're deciding, well, I'm not thinking about how much it costs to make this coffee or, or to, to put this building here. All I care about is if whether, whether or not this coffee is worth five bucks to me. It either it is or it isn't. They're not going to tell you later how much the coffee was after you drank it. They're not going to, you know, you say, oh, how much is this coffee? They're not going to say $60 an hour. Because then you immediately need to know, well, how many hours is it going to take you to make my coffee or what segment of an hour? Like, I can't even make a decision. You haven't told me how much it's going to cost. So there's an entire school of economics that believes that you can start with the value and the value will actually determine the cost and price. So if you say, if you say to a, uh, a client, they, they say, you know, you go in and they say, hey, we understand you're really great at web design. Uh, we've got a project that involves web design, so we want to talk to you about that. So you jump on a call with them. And if you, normally what they'll do is they'll say, all right, we'd like you to do these things. Um, you know, the site's not mobile friendly. Well, we want you to make it mobile friendly. We want the buttons to be this much bigger. We want the form fields to work on an iPhone, we, you know, so that you can type on an iPhone. We want 
And we're hoping that, um, that you can get that done before Black Friday. How much is your hourly rate? Give us an estimate. Tell us how much it's going to cost. If you do that, you're basically just taking orders from the client. So I, here I am, an expert at responsive web design, for example. And here's this client who maybe makes sneakers who has done some research or maybe has some internal expertise around responsive web design and they've had a bunch of meetings and decided what they need someone to do for them. So they'll come to me and say, like, here are these specific things. Here's this punch list of things we want you to do for us. That doesn't tell me anything about the value to them. So what I have to do in a sales meeting, and what I think anybody who's, who wants to value price projects has to do is they need to push back at that point. Say, okay, that's good information. Thank you for that. I've taken all these notes, but let's back up for a second and, and let's, let's take a look at the big picture so I can understand like where, how this fits in the context of your business. So why are you guys even bothering? Like, why would you even pull in an expensive resource like me to do something like this? Why don't you just leave it the way it is? Like, what's the actual problem that we're trying to solve here? And they'll kind of sit back and be like, because uh, that's a weird thing for you know a vendor to say to them because it's almost like I'm starting to talk them out of trying to hire me so which I am in fact literally trying to talk them out of hiring me because I don't want to write a proposal if I don't think there's a lot of value here for them so they'll say well you know we've noticed that our mobile traffic is skyrocketing our desktop traffic is flat and our um, let's say our our conversion rate on mobile is horrible it's like five percent and it's like it's like 75% on the desktop. And we can see that our traffic is all going to mobile. So, you know, we need to do something about that. Oh, okay. Well, how much traffic are we talking about here? Like what kind of a web server do you currently have? You know, you ask questions about the numbers. You start to get a sense pretty quickly of how big a business this is, how important this website is to their business. Is this your main sales channel? That sort of thing. And if you imagine talking them out of even doing the project in the first place, then you're going to get a lot of information from them that's very, you know, business oriented instead of scope oriented. They're going to say, well, yeah, you know, like I said, all our traffic's going to mobile and this is going to cause a, a big problem for the business. Our revenue is going to go down. Our profits are going to go down. Now, all of a sudden I'm thinking, oh, okay, what they need is an increase in profits. What piece of that can I control? I can control the conversion rate on the website. You know, I know from experience that I can get the, um, I can make the checkout process mobile friendly, which, which will surely increase the conversion rate. Uh, and so I have this degree of confidence that, that what they're asking for actually might be a good idea. The specifics of what they're asking might be a good idea, but that's irrelevant. What's relevant is that maybe I'll do those things. Maybe I won't do those things, but the needle that they want to move in this case is, is conversion rate on mobile devices. All right, great. So that's, that's sort of like, why do this sort of question? And then I move on to a different category of why questions. I'll say, well, why do this now? What changed? You know, when you were telling me about this in the first place, you've known about this for over a year. How come all of a sudden you're doing it? And they'll say, well, because things, you know, our, our, a big competitor just released a new website and we're afraid they're going to eat our lunch or, you know, Google's changing their search rankings so that, you know, we're going to get punished SEO wise, or they'll have some reason or they won't, but they'll probably have some reason why this is urgent. It's important for them to do right now. And that's important for me when I'm going to write the proposal, because I'm going to put in the proposal, you know, we talked, you have to do this project for these reasons and you need to do it right now because you're worried that you're going to be penalized by Google and SEO rankings. So then, so now I've got sort of two, categories of questions that I'll push back with. Why this? 
why now? And then I'll, I'll ask a whole category of questions around why me? Why would you hire someone expensive like me? Like why write me a check for a million bucks to come in and revise this website? Couldn't you, don't you guys have internal, you just told me you have web developers. Why don't they do it? You, you know, can't you outsource this to Croatia or something? I could even introduce you to some people in Croatia that would do this for you. Or, you know, uh, there could be something off the shelf. You could use, you know, some screen scraper software that would do this automatically. Cause I want to get every objection. Cause I'm going to, I know I'm going to give them a very high price because at this point I've determined in the conversation, I've determined there's a lot of value for this project. There's a tons of money on the table here. And I know I'm going to hit them with a huge number. So I want to find, I want to surface any objections to that huge number that, that they'll either hit me with directly or have conversations about later while they're looking at my proposal. So I'll say, why not just, why not do this in a cheaper way here? I don't know, three suggested cheaper ways that you could do this. Why wouldn't you do that? Well, we tried to outsource to India once and it, the time zone thing really killed us. And we had to spec out every single last detail down to the pixel and it blew up in our face. All right. Why don't you do it internally? Oh, those people are devoted to, marketing projects. They don't have time to be working on the website. Oh, okay. Why don't you hire some more people? Well, we don't have time to do that. It's going to take, it would take us six months to get a job posting, you know, posted and approved. It, you know, that would be too late. We need to act faster than that. So I'll write all of this down, all of this, all of the, the answers to these, why this, why now, why me questions. I am writing quickly, quickly, furiously in my notebook. I'm capturing everything as many exact quotes as I can so that I can say to them at the end of the meeting, all right, great. So I've got, uh, I've got all the information I need. I'm going to, you know, crunch the numbers and I'm going to come back to you with a range of options on the low end. It's probably going to be around $50,000 and on the high end, it'll be something like 1.5 million. Does that seem like it's going to fall into what you guys were picturing? And they, maybe they'll freak out. Maybe they won't freak out if there is any kind of, you know, if, if the $1.5 million price is like just their eyes pop out of their heads I can dig a little deeper and be like, oh, does that seem, well, we've only, we're only approved for $30,000. And I'd be like, well, help me understand why this, it seems like a big deal for your company. And we just had a conversation where you explained that it was a big deal. You're obviously a hundred million dollar company. That's easy to find out, you know, that, or at least roughly, I thought this was your main sales channel. Like why, why is the budget so small for something so important? Because I, I can try and work within your budget, but I need to understand what, what we're dealing with here business-wise because I want to make sure I'm planning to move the needles that is going to make this project a huge success for you. So you can have more of a conversation, but probably if you're, if you're roughly in the ballpark on one end of the spectrum, then they'll be like, all right, I mean, you know, that top number is pretty high, but whatever, you know, put the proposal together and we'll run it up the flagpole and see what happens. And th- now I've got, now I've got the, information I need to say to myself, now, I haven't thought really much at all about exactly what I'm going to do yet. Like there've been some features discussed and little things, but I'm not really, I haven't planned my actions yet. I'm not thinking about scope. I'm not thinking about how much work it's going to be. I'm thinking about how much value do I think there is for this client, for this project. This project is a huge success. Then I'm going to go back to my office. I'm going to say, all right, if I had a budget, of $50,000. What could I do for these people? What is the most powerful thing I could do for these people to move this needle that they want moved? If I had $1.5 million, 
to move this needle, what would I do? I, you know, at, at the high end of the spectrum, I'd probably hire some people just for the project and say, hey, you know, here's, or, or if I have employees like your listeners, then I'd say, okay, I'd pull in these, these resources on my team. But you're kind, of, you're kind of giving yourself a budget based on the value. So if the value t- to them is $10 million a year, if this is a success, then why wouldn't they pay you a million dollars to make it happen or $1.5 million to make it happen? So you kind of like give yourself a budget based on the value, which is the, kind of like the price. And then you're like, okay, I can make, I can make a case for a $50,000 project. I can make a case for a $750,000 project and I can make a case for a $1.5 million project. So, all right, what could I do for them? Now I start thinking about cost last. What could I actually do that is going to give them positive ROI for $50,000. So they'll, you know, they'll feel like whatever we do for $50,000 was actually worth 500,000 or at least, you know, at least more than 50. And then I'll think, well, what could I do for $750,000? What, what resources can I pull together? What activities can I engage in to give them value over and above 700, a $750,000 price tag? And, you know, up on and upward to the $1.5 million. And I'm just picking random numbers out of the air. Um, but basically what I'm thinking is find out the value and then come up with three prices and then think about the cost. What is the thing I'm going to do? How much time am I going to put in? You know, am I going to hire some outside experts for a particular thing like security or you know, SEO or something like that that's outside of my wheelhouse? But think of it like figure out the value, come up with three prices, and then, then you can think about the costs that you're going to incur to deliver each one of those options. And if you approach it in this way, and you're reasonably good at estimating the value to the client, you will never have these options flipped the wrong way. You will never have your cost over your price over your value, which is what happens when you're eating hours on an over budget project. That's a brilliant approach. And there's a lot to unpack there. I want to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from Jonathan. And we're going to dive into exactly how you do this entire process. So stay tuned. Hi, this is Steve. I hope you're enjoying this interview. We've got more to come in a minute, but what I'd love for you to do right now is rate this podcast. Leave us a review, rate us on iTunes. It'll really help others discover the podcast and help us help other CEOs, other business leaders become unstoppable. So if you go to unstoppableceo.net forward slash iTunes, you can find instructions there and links that will take you right to where you need to go to review the podcast. Thanks so much. Now back to the interview. Welcome back. This is Steve Gordon, and I'm talking with Jonathan Stark. And uh, Jonathan just walked us through how to have a a value-based pricing conversation. And Jonathan, a couple of things just jumped out at me. And I'm Mm -hmm. sure that the listeners are sitting here going, well, I I could never do that. You threw out in this scenario, you threw out a range that was a a $1.45 million range from Mm -hmm. high to low. Mm-hmm. And uh, having gone through this process with a lot of our clients before and trying to coach them through this, I always get pushed back there. They get, they're like, no, I got to have the range. I got to kind of know what I'm doing. And as you just explained it, you don't know what your scope is yet. Mm-hmm. You haven't gotten that far. You've thrown out this wild range from 50,000 to 1.5 million, which seems like it's way too big. Mm-hmm. And I know you're probably going to tell us from experience, well, that's kind of how it goes every time. And, and you never have an issue. 
with it. So where do you get pushback in this process from, from the potential client? Uh, well, there's, there's one, a couple ways. So the first thing is that you, you can have a conversation like this with someone and determine that there's no value. So it's one of those types of projects that would have been a disaster if you started going hourly. So like value pricing cuts both ways. It doesn't, it's not a license to just run around quoting million dollar projects. There needs to be 10x the value there for the client. So if you want to grow your business in a value pricing way, instead of adding headcount, you find bigger clients. So clients who stand to benefit more from your intervention or your engagement. So the numbers I'm using there are probably for a Fortune 500 company where you're, or not even, not necessarily, but a big company, somebody who's doing $100 million a year in revenue. It's not like a, not like a mom and pop pizza place. Um, if, you were, if, you, if your core market is mom and pop pizza places, your numbers will not be that high. They can't be because they, no one would ever get the value out of your engagement. Even if it took you, you know, 100 man years to complete this project that the mom and pop wanted, they will never get the value out of it that it would cost you to deliver. Did, did I explain that? Yeah, completely. Okay. And, and I think what I want folks to take away is that you don't have to get so tuned into what the scope is to give them a tight range. Even with the mom and pop shop, you could give them a, you know, it's going to be between a thousand and 25,000, mm-hmm. uh, whatever that appropriate range is, but it can still be a really broad range. You don't have to yes. narrow it down too far. Correct. So, we, you know, we're talking about, the, you know, or, back in the beginning, kind of talking about how, you know, with, with so many projects that are built by the hour that you get scope creep, they tend to run over budget, the client ends up paying more than was originally estimated. Mm-hmm. And that, that's certainly a danger in, in hourly billing. I think the biggest risk and, you know, the, the reason most firms do hourly billing is because they think they're not losing money. I think they're losing a tremendous amount of money because they're losing opportunity costs. Sure. They, have, they have the opportunity to bill based on value mm-hmm. and they fail to do so. So instead they go out and they bill on cost plus because almost all hourly billing is some version of, of you know, your cost plus some margin that you're adding on top of there. Mm-hmm. You know, in different industries, they've got different multiples. But um, I think the big risk here for anybody that's billing by the hour is, is all the money you're losing right now by not having the courage to think about this differently. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I've never, I've heard uh, smaller shops, I've heard many, many times people say, uh, I'll, I'll ask them, I'll say, how do, you, how do you price your work now? And they'll say, well, you know, we, we talk to the client, we figure out how much scope is involved. They're deciding in the sales meeting pretty much as quickly as possible what kind of exactly what they're planning on doing. They're mapping out a number of screens in their heads, they're mapping out a number of fields in a table, a number of tables. They're, doing, they're not listening to the client. They're actually planning the engagement. They're planning their work already. They're making giant to-do lists in their heads. And, as, and I don't know about other industries, but certainly with software developers, it is always not enough. It is never, you never think of everything at that time when you're creating an estimate. So then they say, okay, here's how much stuff I'll probably have to do on behalf of this client. It'll probably take me about this long. Therefore, I'm going to give this estimated price and I hear a lot of people say, and especially when they have employees, they say, and I, and I tack on 15% for project management. And 
you know, many, many people have said this to me. It's, it's, I, I don't know where this comes from. Maybe it's just uh, an idea that spread from firm owner to firm owner. Uh, but I was at a conference recently and, and I was talking to some, you know, the audience was asking a question and they said, you know, they described exactly what I just said. And I say, okay, how much do you tack on for profit? And the whole room went silent <laughs> because no one tacks on anything for profit. Right. Supposedly this project management is supposed to cover that. But of course, project management's a lot of work. You just don't usually get away with billing for it because people are like, hey, why am I paying you to manage this project? We have a project manager here that's dealing with that. So no, I would say that you probably don't even really have profit in the conventional sense. For, you know, if you're billing by the hour, you, you basically are just, you've got a razor thin margin. And if you're listening to this and you're imagining, or, or maybe even have tried fixed bid projects in the past and you got killed, you know, they took 10 times longer than you expected. You thought it was never going to end. Um, you know, it was a, a, a bad financial hardship. The problem is you didn't set your prices high enough. So like if you're listening to this right now and you're panicking about the idea of trying it because of scope creep, 10X your numbers and you won't care about scope creep anymore. You'll be like, oh yeah, the scope could creep all over the place with you know, within reason, but like a normal reasonable scope creep. Cause of course you're going to discover some things in a six month or a 12 month software project that you didn't predict. Things are going to change. Okay, fine. But if you price it with, a lot of profit, it's okay because you're still going to be doing great. Well, I think that for somebody listening, the pushback on that is going to be, but I'm in a competitive market and <laughs> I've tried this, I've tried this thing where I've done the fixed price, you know, bid or whatever mm -hmm. before and, and I lost money on it. Um, and, and Hey, I, I've been there in the past on large, you know, engineering projects in my first mm -hmm. company. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you the distinction is that when most people do a, a fixed price project in, in a service business, they're still doing a cost plus model. So yes. there's, they haven't changed the conversation that they're having mm -hmm. with the potential client mm -hmm. and they don't have the client focused on value. And so they're still getting crappy rates. They've just bundled them all together and taken all the risk to take the crappy rates. I yes. think what you're advocating and what I would advocate is flip the conversation around begin talking about what this is really worth to the client, only take on projects where it's worth so much to the client that you can make a healthy profit mm -hmm. and then go make the healthy profit and, and yep. go ahead and, and, you know, give the client comfort, you know, by taking on the risk, giving them that fixed price. I don't know if you found this. One of the things we found when we went to, you know, a value-based model was that we actually got a lot better at executing. So, it, yes. you know, back, back to your original, you know, story about the, the really qualified uh, developer that you had that was billing the same as the mediocre guy. Mm -hmm. When you make this switch, you quickly find out that you don't need the mediocre guys all that much anymore. Yep. And you end up with, a, I think in most cases you'll find you're going to end up with a really high quality team that requires a whole heck of a lot less management and babysitting to get the result. And, mm -hmm. uh, and so you end up with more profitable business, easier to manage, um, a lot, of, a lot happier people because they're, they can actually live a life and you're not having to have your thumb on them, you know, saying bill another hour before you leave on Friday. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the law industry is just a great resource for stories about all the ways that hourly billing can go wrong inside of the culture of the business. You know, like, um, uh, my favorite example is, uh, partners hoarding good hours. 
So they, they, you know, they won't give out work to other people that is the easy, like the work that they want to do basically. So like the idea of hoarding hours to me is totally hilarious. It's just bizarre. Um, but you know, burnout and all the other things that come on the employee. Cause I remember it, you know, I, I built by the hour for a few years through this, I guess three or four years through this, uh, this firm that I was at and it was, you know, there's a story I tell where I was on the phone with a client who was a big client of ours. Uh, it was the owner of the company. He was very chatty and uh, it would cause a problem for me because we, we would work very closely together. And after we do like a, you know, sort of a, a design review or discovery session, you know, he'd be describing business logic to me. He would sometimes keep me on the phone for 45 minutes to an hour telling me about the time he proposed to his wife in Madison Square Garden or, or whatever. And, and I'm like, you know, this is like, as a service business, you should love that. You should love it. But it be started to become a problem because, you know, I would have to be like, you know, this is really nice talking to you, but I'm going to have to bill you for it because at the, you know, at the end of the week, I'm responsible for 30 billable hours or whatever it was. And I'm, and I'm not going to make it if I don't bill you for this. So you can imagine how that went over, you know, getting an invoice for him telling you an anecdote about (laughs) proposing to his wife. Right. It's got a horrible effect on the relationship. It's very transactional. It's very mercenary. And it's the exact kind of behavior that you would want them to be engaging in. And you'd be comfortable doing it if you were just making tons of money. You know, if like, if the profit margin was way higher, you could really, because you're all in the same team at that point, the faster you can finish, the better it is for you and the better it is for them. They always, I've never met a client that wanted a project to be released more slowly. Now, could you take a little longer on that? We don't really need it quite yet. Just take your time and we'll just release it when it gets released. Everybody wants it released yesterday because of their opportunity costs. They want the new website to be available as quickly as humanly possible. And that's called rush service. And if you could deliver rush service, that's worth more money to people. They would love that if you could just snap your fingers and have the new website be up or whatever the project is. So rearranging your, your, um, and that just doesn't, it doesn't fit with the hourly model, of course, uh, but to get back, you were, you were mentioning something about your, the employees getting really good. Well, because now you've got financial incentive to hire really good employees and the employees have a financial incentive to get faster at what they do. So a, a lot of things, uh, a lot of, I don't know if this is t- too specific to software, but something that comes up a lot of times is people ask me, well, should I charge for time spent educating myself about some technology that the client wants me to use. So the client says, Hey, I want you to use some cutting edge tech blockchain or some cutting edge new technology. Um, can you uh, incorporate that into the checkout? And it's like, well, yeah, I can. I'm smart. I'm sure I can figure it out, but I'm not an expert at it. So I'm going to have to spend 40 hours learning about this. Um, maybe take a class. Do you bill them for that? Do you bill them for those hours? Do you bill them for the class? Do you pass that cost through to them? None of that makes any sense. You should, it, they should just be paying. This is the outcome we want. You figure it out and you go and you, in the most efficient, high quality way that you possibly can, you get that done. And the sooner it gets released to them, the happier they're going to be. Yeah. Well, and you know, I would guess of the, of the folks listening today, most of them, if they run into that kind of a situation and, and it probably happens a lot in software, but it happens in other areas too. Most of them aren't charging for that time. Right. Uh, maybe with the exception of the attorneys listening, because they're pretty good at pretty much billing every hour. <laughs> every um, six minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 
Um, and and uh, my brother-in-law is an attorney who who I know has to bill by the hour because of the firm he's he's with. So I know, you know, we we joke with our attorney friends a lot. But um, you know, one of the things that that I've found with this is that it in taking this approach, you end up crafting the solution that ultimately should be crafted. You know, you don't end up over you know over engineering something, over creating simply because you're, you know, you're running a clock, you know, you got the meter running mm-hmm. and, and it, that having that constraint on there actually, I think delivers better projects because it mm-hmm. forces you to get innovative and creative and how you're going to approach something and bring that back to the client. And often that, that even increases the amount of value that they get out of it. A lot of times you'll bring back a, a, a solution to them that can then be applied in other ways in their organization. And, and so without that, I find that, you know, people can just go around and, and deliver the same project they delivered for the last 10 clients because they're just billing by the hour. It really doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. There's a, we talked about eating hours for a second there. The, one of the things that uh, a lot of people say, you know, like they'll, they'll usually eat hours on what they consider to be education stuff. I should have known, you know, oh, I can't build a client for that. I should have known it. And, or, or if they think something just took them longer than they think it should have taken them. Like, oh, this, this took longer than I thought, so I'm going to mark down the invoice a little bit. And then I'll say to them, flip it around, like, well, if you finish it faster than you thought it was going to, do you mark the invoice up? You know, exactly. does it go? Because people who are billing by the hour are already just kind of making it up. They're, they're deciding which hour just sort of randomly and on a, on a developer by developer basis or employee by employee basis, people are basically just deciding which hours are billable and which ones aren't if they even remember to log them all. So, you know, to your point about, about creating innovate better solutions, I agree because not only are you going to innovate more and not only are you going to do everything you can to deliver faster, which is good for you and the client, but you're going to be, you're going to have your eye on the right needle. So instead of, instead of, you know, sending in your timesheets to prove that you engaged in the activities that you said you would on behalf of the client, you're going to say, remember that needle you wanted us to move? Well, look, it's moving. You know, the, it, the sales, the mobile sales are increasing. So it's the, that's one of the big problems with hourly billing is everybody's focused on the wrong thing. They're all focused on this administrative task of tracking hours and thinking about hours and whether or not this hour or that hour was fair. Nobody is looking at the business goal that the overall project is supposed to achieve. Maybe the CEO or the founder or the project lead, but probably not even. During the project, everybody's got, a, got their eye off the ball. They're looking at the timesheets. They're looking at the, you know, maybe you're looking at some project management system, like here's our, here's how many tasks we have left to do. Nobody is thinking about whether or not these tasks make sense to do because nobody has talked about what the desired business outcome of the project is. And if they have, it's only been in the, the most cursory fa- <clears throat> fashion and nobody's actually tracking it throughout the course of the project. So yes, it'd be more innovative. It'd be more valuable because they get it delivered faster and you'll know that you're going running to the right basket. You know, you're, you're running to the right end zone. You're not running to a, a, the sidelines, you know, a million miles an hour. Yeah. And, and uh, I couldn't agree more. I think um, this approach provides so much opportunity for service providers. It gets them out of this trap that they're in. And I know what, for those who are billing by the hour, don't take this the wrong way. Um, Jonathan, you've been there. I've been there. Um, this is not a, 
you know, a, a conviction of the people who are doing it in any way. It's, I think the goal here for me, it was, was to open up everybody to the, this different way of thinking. You know, it's talked about a lot. Alan Weiss wrote, I don't know, at least one book, probably multiple books oh, on yeah. value-based mm -hmm. pricing and consulting years ago. And, they, and they've been pretty widely distributed, but I still see very, very few people using it and using it effectively. Mm -hmm. And it really, it starts with having a much deeper conversation with the potential client. Once you get the courage to do that, and I think that's a courage thing, uh, you know, more than anything else for a, a, you know, a service business owner, they got to have the guts to kind of elevate the conversation to that next level. The clients want you to do that. Mm -hmm. you know, they, they're not going to come out and tell you and invite you to do it. But when you do, they're going to go, oh, wow, this, this person really gets me. It sets really you apart. Yeah, totally. And, and so you've got to start taking that approach. You're going to quickly find that when you do, you're probably the only one in the running that they're talking to that's doing it. And now all of a sudden you're going to separate yourself and there is no more price competition. And that's the big pushback that I always hear from people when I talk about this approach and I don't talk about it nearly as much as you do, but it's always, Oh, wait, 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 you don't understand. You know, mm -hmm. I'm always up against 10 competitors and three of them are willing to take a loss on the project. And yeah. I hear this all the time. It's, there's different variations. It's like, Oh, you don't understand in my country, you know, everybody buys on price or in my industry, everybody buys on price. And maybe that's true in some instances, but I hear it from almost everyone. Uh, at some point when they're, when they're starting, starting like this. And I would say <clears throat> it's probably not true in your case. It's probably not true. It seems like it might be true, but it's probably not actually true. Too many people, you know, too many people say it. It's just, and, and then, you know, when I have students, the first time they have this why conversation, I call it, you know, you have these three whys. When you go in and have this why conversation for the first time, people are like, they report back to me that it was like magic that the entire tone of the conversation changed. They suddenly felt like a partner instead of an order taker or vent, you know, like a, like sort of subservient role. All of a sudden they felt like they're dealing with two, two business people dealing instead of a business person hiring someone to clean their floors. You know, it completely changes the tone of conversation and it, but it, it's hard. I, I am the first person to admit it is very hard to transition to, especially if you have employees and a lot of internal systems that are based fundamentally on the premise that there's a billable hour. Your, even your systems alone, your invoicing systems alone, you probably have time tracking systems. Your computers might have software all over them that are based on the concept of billing by the hour. So it is really hard to transition out of it if it is, hasn't you know, invaded your business or sort of permeated your business. So yeah, it's hard to do. Um, my, I, my advice for people who are thinking about doing it is to not start off with value pricing right out of the gate. It's really, it's a gigantic mind shift. You need to have that sort of light bulb moment before you can really do it well. You can practice it. You'll screw it up. You'll get better at it eventually, but you won't be great at it out of the gate. The thing that you can do uh, to, get the, uh, to get yourself beginning, to begin to disconnect yourself from trading time for money, you can create productized services that are in your area of expertise that are uh, of a strategic nature or diagnostic nature. Something that would happen, something that you probably do uh, at the beginning of most of your longer implementation style projects. So if you have, you know, three to six to 12 month long projects with people and you're used to doing those and you're used to billing by the hour for labor, 
probably there's a phase at the beginning where you need to ask big picture questions. So if you look back from your past clients and you say, oh, there's this sort of, oh, you know what? We do kind of do a project kickoff that's sort of like a strategy workshop. So if, that, if you look back and you notice that you have this sort of thinking work that you do at the beginning of these doing jobs, break that off or you could, you could try to break that off and offer it as a specific discrete standalone service that you price. You know, this is $15,000 for uh, whatever digital innovation workshop. It'll it'd take a day. It's like, this, this is what it would look like. Here's a description of it on my website. If you need a digital innovation workshop, go here and, you know, contact us and we'll explain the details to you and start to feel like the, the, the difference, it's a completely different feeling to be working not on the clock, not with that safety net of like, oh, I made a hundred bucks this hour. You know, I know oh, now I made 200 bucks. I just keep working. I'm just making so much money today. But you don't know if you're actually delivering value to the client. You're just punching the clock. So if you switch it around and all of a sudden you don't have that safety net of like every time the, the second hand ticks, I'm making money. All of a sudden you get really efficient at what you do. You get really effective at what you do. And you can deliver that at higher and higher profits to your clients. So don't try and obviously no one listening to this, I'm sure no one listening to this is just going to be like, you know what? He's right. I'm going to change everything right now. So look for little, little strategic engagements that you can break off from your normal, larger, long-term things that you're used to doing by the hour, your sort of implementation work or execute, creative execution, that kind of thing. And break off something like that. Maybe it's a software architecture diagram. Maybe it's an innovation workshop. Maybe, who knows? It could be a style guide. It could be a, a marketing calendar. Some sort of planning work. And uh, price that, sell that, optimize that, increase the price, decrease the cost, and just be maximizing ROI on both ends. And I think what, you'll happen, what will happen if you're like most people I work with, you'll find that it's very addictive doing those engagements. Those are really fun and the clients love them. And I never have to track my time. I never have to argue about an invoice. Everybody loves it. So what you might start doing is more of those and maybe less of the implementation work over time. And as you sort of, as you sort of drink the Kool-Aid on it, you'll get better and better and better at having those value conversations if you do want to continue to do implementation work. Yeah, and, uh, fantastic advice. Um, and Jonathan, we could probably go for hours um, on the topic. Um, it's, it's a fun topic to dive into and there are a lot of nuances to it. Uh, but unfortunately, we're out of time and I want to make sure that folks know where they can go find out uh, more about you. I know you've got a uh, value pricing boot camp that uh, you offer as a, a free email course. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I highly recommend that, that uh, folks go and take that. We're going to put a link to that in the show notes. So if you go to unstoppableceo.net slash podcast, you'll be able to find the show notes. You'll find the link to uh, the, the boot camp. Go take that if this is an interesting topic for you. If you're billing by the hour now and you need to make the switch, um, you know, it doesn't happen overnight, but I can tell you once that once it does happen, it's so liberating, so freeing to know that, you know, you're not stuck to some tiny little hourly rate that you can actually get many, many multiples of that. You can have a lot more fun doing it and work a lot less. And so I urge you to go get Jonathan's value pricing bootcamp. And uh, Jonathan Stark, thanks so much for being on the podcast. My pleasure, Steve. Thanks for listening to the Unstoppable CEO podcast. Help others discover this show. Leave a review and rating on iTunes at unstoppableceo.net forward slash iTunes.